On today's interview, we have Elka Rubach from Rubach Wealth. She was a lawyer turned financial advisor who helps entrepreneurs, business owners gain personal financial clarity so they can focus on building their businesses. Hi, Elka. How are you? Hi, very well. And you? Very good. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So glad to have you. Glad to have you on the show. I know this is a really interesting conversation. I know that when I've gone through even my own notes and when I've done events, many women ask, when is that place in your business that women should start looking to a financial advisor? I think, and I always recommend as soon as possible, if not yesterday. As business owners, we devote, and that goes for me as well, we devote every waking hour to building our business, making sure our clients or our products or everything that we're doing are top of the line. We're ahead of the curve of making sure that we're growing at the speed we, we decided to do so. And it's only human that we neglect our own affairs. And that's very dangerous because as your business grows, you undoubtedly will start digging little holes that could turn into pitfalls in your business that could, you know, be a risk for your business in the future. So what exactly does a financial advisor do? Because some women, I find that they almost have, there is apprehension with actually confessing that I have, they have no idea what a financial advisor does. And especially if they are a woman who has built a six-figure business and feeling like I understood what it took to make money, but I don't really understand the ins and outs of money. So how do you find that clarity for your client in the role of financial advisor? That's a very, very, very good question. I get that a lot. And when people first approach us, they think that a financial advisor is someone who's going to deal with their investments. And sure, we, we do that. We can do that too. But to be able to be a proper player in the overall plan of our clients, we think that in my case or or our firm or any financial advisor should be a sounding board for our clients. It should be called the coach or the captain of the advisory table. We will have business owners that deal with lawyers and accountants and the financial advisor's role should be bringing everyone together to the table. So let me, let me share a little bit of how we do business, and that might answer the, the, the question of what a financial advisor is or should be. We have a model that makes a really, really big difference when working with an advisor and does a big difference for our clients. And we call it the planning horizon, where a lot needs to be looked at when planning and protecting and investing. But to do it well, we take a step back and we divide it in two different kinds of conversations. We have one that goes above the line or above the line conversations and those who go below. And the ones that are above are the ones that create the magic. Below the line is where you see the traditional financial conversation, how you're protected, how you're invested, who you're working with, what timelines you're dealing with. But it's really a strategic, tactical approach of accomplishing goals. It's who does what, when does it happen, how does it happen? It's the quantitative aspect of financial situations. We do that too. And we, we have the expertise, we have the resources to do that. Where the magic happens, as I said, is is above the line. And 
that deals with something else. That's where we look at what really matters to, to the individual, the business owner, and why it is important. And we find particularly with women, it's, it's a very vulnerable place to be in because you have shown resilience and strength building your business. You've gone through very demanding and draining situations. And this is where you have to understand why you're doing all of this and who you can trust. You understand the vision for the future, what you what you value, what your goals, what goals will, will move you closer to your vision. And it's a qualitative aspect of your financial situation. This is where our clients commit to a planning journey. And we bring, as I said, all the experts to the table or we invite them to work with us and we connect the dots and, and make it happen. And it's a very deep conversation and a very solid relationship with our clients where they feel they have, you know, you know, the, I can ask my dumb questions and I won't be judged. That's what a financial advisor should do for you. Well, I, it's really important that you share that, Elka, because I know many women that I've met even across my journey in entrepreneurship, and even in my mastermind group, many of us have talked about walking into these wealth management firms at a place of building six-figure, seven-figure, or even more businesses, and wanting to ask some of the questions that may seem completely logical to someone else, but we almost feel not like we're almost in this place of insecurity of asking because it seems like a dumb question. And some of the women have shared, you know, they've been mansplained or dismissed. They've been in these situations where it's, you know, they almost have, there's a great level of apprehension. So it's really good to hear that how your team can remedy some of that apprehension and knowing that a woman can walk in there and just share, you know, I just don't know. Because there was many things, and I know that you've probably seen so many very complex situations, but there's many things that I've experienced in my journey that were complex, that I needed to a sounding board financially around. It would have been good to, to definitely know that there was someone like you out there. We have to say that we're more the exception, and most advisors start below the line. And when you go into a traditional bank, the first thing they tell you is like, oh, you have extra money here. You should invest in a mutual fund. Oh, you have extra money here. Have you bought insurance? Maybe sometimes insurance is the solution or the need. Maybe, but it's not always the case. We want to keep it human. I, I also went through those things when I built my business. And it was thanks to people who kept it human and simple and approachable that I built my business on that premise. It's let's help our clients find the right people, the right pieces in their puzzle. And we don't lead with product. Product is only the result of the planning process. It's, it's, you should not lead with, oh, buy this, buy that, buy that. Because we first have to discover what people are trying to do. And you can bring two women, twins if you want, with similar histories, you know, families, etc. But one is married to someone who hates strawberries, as mundane as that sounds, that changes everything. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the values, what's important to you, what do you like, what do you hate, what are you scared of, why are you building? And everybody has a different reason for building their business. Some are driven out of passion, some want to build a legacy, some happen to bump into their business by, you know, pure luck. Mm-hmm. It's a human conversation, it's the openness and willingness to help help someone someone find the people that can 
help further the advancement of their goals. So that that's what we aim to do. And and it's a really awesome conversation because our clients are our friends and it and it's a win win situation for everyone. It's the you know, I'm stuck here. Can you help me? And 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 the answer is not always yes, because in that moment we might not have the right person to help them, like in our, in our network of resources. But our commitment to our client is to find the right person, and it's it doesn't lead with let me but sell you stuff, which is the traditional approach to financial planning. Right, buy stocks, buy bonds, balance your portfolio. So that's part of it. Yes, but it's not not where you start. I know that you and I have discussed mildly investment theory. So what goes first? You know, age, stage, and life goals. What's important? I, I would argue that the most important thing is clarity and values uh-huh. and understand what you're doing first because it's not the same situation for someone who is in their first year of business than those who have been, and, and it could be a very successful business already year one, making more than six years, than somebody who's been there 10 years who probably went through management change. Some people are solopreneurs. Some people are multi, you know, multi entity uh, players. The most important thing is to understand why you're doing it. What is it that you want to do? Know that your vision and your mission and your goals are likely going to change as you're depending on the stage of life you are in. Some people all of a sudden decide that they want to change their line of business. Some people maybe have kids and then their priorities shift. Some people say, I don't want to have kids at all. So it's a really case-by-case basis that you could follow the traditional rule of thumb of, you know, pay your mortgage off, pay your debt off, pay your, you know, contribute to your RSP, your TFSA, all that stuff. But in reality, it's a case-by-case situation and it's, it's totally worth a conversation. Now, you've touched upon prior about protection. One of the parts that I knew when I first started engaging a financial advisor that was a little bit complex for me. And this is hence why it's important for the financial advisor to bring everyone together with the accountants and the insurance is about the tax planning strategies and asset protection. Can you provide us with some clarity on what that looks like and when should you start that process? Now, I know you said to start at, you should start right away, like yesterday, but some people don't start because start that process due to the fact that some people, especially if like if you're an employee, it's an entire different dynamic. But in entrepreneurship, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are locked into and business owners are locked into building and their personal uh, finance finances has kind of gone to the wayside. So provide us with clarity on when should tax planning start? What does that look like? And Talk about aspects of protection that encompass that dialogue. I think tax planning also should start from day one, but it's not necessarily the business owner who should run it. It's the right advisor. So an accountant who is a tax specialist, and obviously depending on the scale and the size of the business and so on, but once you're taking your business seriously, you should not just go to a tax filer. And there, I, I can't tell you how many times you hear people say, oh, my accountant said, uh, like, is your accountant giving you tax advice or is he just filing your taxes? So there's a mm-hmm. big difference between a bookkeeper, a tax filer, and a tax planner. 
So we, we first do that, right? We're like, who are you working with? If we realize that it's not necessarily the right person, we suggest a second opinion in some cases. And then what my job there is to flesh out what financial, individual financial independence or financial success means to this business owner. And then we reverse engineer it. Right now, you're probably working around the clock, building your team, hiring and firing, making mistakes, advertising, trying to figure out if the marketing campaign worked or not, and so on. But if your ultimate goal is to reach X, and whatever X means, let's say for argument's sake, is I want to have a, let's say your goal is a number amount, which it rarely is. And you say, I want to have $100 million by age eight or like X age, we reverse engineer it. And within tax planning and depending how cash flows are available and so on, you may or may not implement insurance strategies. Why? Because it's not a secret that in Canada, taxes are very aggressive, particularly when it comes to personal planning. And through your corporation, your business, if it, you might have certain planning opportunities through insurance to know that with or without you, that goal will be reached. So you can talk about certain insurance solutions that will grow with you and they're tax sufficient and they complement your other investment strategies, which is most of the time you invest in your business. So we consider that equity because it's high risk. Things can go great. Things cannot go like well. But at least with insurance, you can balance it as a fixed income asset and make sure that with or without you, the, the goal is reached. The other opportunity, too, is uh, you know certain health and disability protections. Why? Because it's not guaranteed that you'll always be able to, to work. Some, and, and it doesn't mean that you're going to have a car accident or a crazy illness that's going to uh, leave you disabled. Like, why do you put your seatbelt on? Because things can happen. Same reason as you have to have disability coverage. Because if you can't work, how are you going to, A, look after yourself first, and B, keep the business going? And depending on the seriousness of, of the disability, you might be out for account for a week, two weeks, six months, a year, or forever. And the last thing is you want is to be dependent on government coverage for your well-being. Like you're not building your business to just take the minimum. And it's a conversation. Some people decide to do it. Some people decide not to do it. And then through critical illness, which is another type of coverage, you can also do some tax planning where your corporation pays for for a little bit of it, of the premiums, and then you pay for the other side personally. And then there's certain tax planning opportunities there that allow you to keep more Keep more money in your jeans. So it's, it's, it's a process. Insurance, for some reason, sounds like a dark, heavy, purple velvet curtain when you talk about it <laughs> with your clients initially. And everybody hides, right? And it's real simple. You know you're supposed to do it. You take a peek into the world. You get bombarded with products and services and sell, 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 buy, buy, buy. So you go back into your shell. You don't make decisions and time goes by. And I can't tell you how many business owners tell me, oh, now it's too late. Well, it's never too late to correct the past. But of course, the impact of your corrections will be a lot less 
meaningful if you start when you're 60 than if you start in your 30s. Why? Because you have A, your health to bank on, and B, the benefit of time. I always tell you know people the best time to insure yourself is when you were born. Like if your parents had insured you, you wouldn't have to pay certain premiums that make no sense. But they didn't, so now you have to. But there are other options where you can see insurance as a as an asset class. That's a different conversation. But again, it's a case by case basis, and the only thing we want is people who are willing to be curious and talk about it. And we will work with some and. We won't work with some, you know, most advisors start below the line, as I was saying, and if they go above it at all, it's, it's only briefly. And we find most people had a fair bit of advice on what they should be putting in place without many conversations about what they were really actually trying to do. And we try to put these two together and take a look at what they've done so far, who they're working with, what planning has been engaged, and see if we can get a lay of the land together. Then we determine whether we want to work together to create something of value. Like we don't, we only want to work with people we help. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I feel that really what you do is you provide emotional clarity, but you also provide a foundation for people to feel comfortable to have these conversations. I know one part, and obviously you're a previous lawyer, so. One part that I know that I, I, I hear from my legal friends that they're astounded by is the agreements that are not in place and business owners not having clarity on what type of, of legal entities that they're bus- like partnerships or legal entities that should be in place. And in fairness, I have found this to be astounding too. I had a situation where I was sitting in a, in a mastermind session and listening to a person who had built a business, a substantial business, and like we're missing actual key foundational aspects around like having key people in place, like an actual part of their financial team. And I was just like, there's so much liability that they have opened themselves up to. So how do you, with your background as well, help with that partnership and legal entity and with the agreements, helping your client to gain that clarity? Well, I I don't want to be a jack of all trades and I I stick to the financial advisory role, but I would say nine out of 10 times, well, seven out of 10 times, there is no partnership or or shareholders agreement in place, which is scary because, you know, why are you building this and you run it and you make sure that the partnership is negotiated when we're all friends, not when we fight because with the only thing that will suffer in addition to your health when you're fighting with your partner when things don't go well is the value of your of your business. Like, did you really build it to then fight and then sink it? That makes no sense. So first, we want to make sure that there is a partnership agreement. Then we also want to make sure that there are the corresponding wills in place. Nobody has a will. Whoever has a will, it's outdated. And there, it's, it's the exception and not the rule for people to have wills and that they're up to date and know what's going on. And people need to see both partnership agreements, shareholders agreements, and wills as a dynamic document. So we either work with our lawyers or we recommend lawyers that would be helpful to them to put all those documents in place. Then we go into the agreement and we say, okay, now you've decided that this is how you want to split it. This is if someone dies, this is what you do. So everybody's obsessed with the key man insurance. 
But then we explained that there's other stuff. You have to put your your mask on first. So you have to have your own personal disability coverage first. And then also make sure that that money that if you, you know, if something goes wrong and you have to make a claim, that money goes straight to you and your family or yourself if you're alone, right? But then you do have a business that just because you're disabled doesn't mean it doesn't incurring expenses. So there are other options that you cover those expenses with for your business called business overhead expense. And you do it. And then and then from there you start working with all the professionals, but you always keep your legal advisor, your tax advisor, your accountant close by to make sure that everything's taken care of. And you should never try to do this alone. I you know, I have client doctors that they heard from their friend and they did. And I just, I just feel sad because the mistakes they make are terrible. And I always, I I joke with them. I'm like, okay, so next time my stomach hurts, should I just reach out for the scalpel and figure out what's going on? And they're like, well, no. (laughs) So that's my reaction. I'm like, well, then you shouldn't do it either because you're not in finance. You're a top-notch surgeon but don't try to do everything yourself. So it's believing in the team approach and knowing that somebody has your back. With the advantage I have that with a legal eye, I can pick certain situations faster. Well, the one part I was going to share, it's, it comes back to what we talked about. It's the overwhelming conversation. Because as soon as we start talking, you already know how reactionary people become as soon as anything legal comes up in a conversation. And then as well as finance. Those are two big, what I call a blows to someone's, someone's sense of empowerment. They're like, oh my gosh, I have to deal with this. It's, it's almost overwhelming. And especially when you see the area, when you mentioned wills, right? Wills and insurance mm-hmm. kind of, in my opinion, they very much go hand in hand. And when you mm-hmm. start talking about a wills, I know one of my big, and I will confess this to everyone listening, one of my biggest issues when going back and looking at my will was I'm pre- planning, I'm preparing for my death, right? Even though that it was, it's, it's, it's a very beneficial tool. It is something that every single person should have in place, not just entrepreneurs. Any person should have this in place because they don't understand the ramifications that happens to a family that is left when there is nothing in place. I know one of the parts is you already touched upon was some of the insurance part of this, the insurance planning part of what people should consider life disability and critical illness. But also the other part that no one talks about too is the, some of the benefits is like the insurance as a tax savings tool. So how do you, when you have this conversation with your clients, how do you present this to them to reassure them that not only is it, is it beneficial for after, but also for present? I would be very naive and crazy to think that I can talk about everything at the first meeting with our clients. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's, it's a process. It's a journey. The same way your business is not built overnight, you cannot come in and say, okay, let's put everything in place. In some cases, it it does make total sense. And in some cases, depending on the phase and stage they're at, it's, it's a conversation for later on. The most important thing is that people understand the concept of insurability. And that is what I call a limited time offer. You're not always insurable. Your your health changes and, and, and that's just normal, right? Mm-hmm. In the animal kingdom, that's just normal. It's 
understanding that there's two things you can do. You can leave a legacy or you can leave a mess. And you need to see what solution works for you at the time of discussion. So my job is to find something that is flexible enough that can grow with people. When people call me and say, hey, can you send me a quote for life insurance? I, again, I cringe because they're treating themselves like something that doesn't necessarily have value. People want the cheapest insurance. And I always say, well, I can get you the cheapest, but I want to make sure that we get you the one that's going to work for you. And I compare it to a car. Everybody wants, uh, you know, without throwing brands, at, brands out there, you know, the German luxury super fast car. But not everybody can afford it at the same time. Most people could afford a beat up little 1982 car and would be the cheapest. But what we need to make sure is that considering your reality, understanding that you live in Canada, that it's very likely that it's going to, there's going to be a snowstorm, that car you're buying is going to be there for you for when you need it. And probably the 1982 car will get stuck in the first snowbank you come across. So was it the cheapest? Yeah. But was it of any use to you? Questionable. So my job is to find the right solution that's going to be there for you when you need it, if you need it, or that will grow with you as you develop your your, your financial plan. And that's an, a much longer conversation. So do I believe in permanent insurance as an asset class? I love it. But the amount of money that goes into that discussion is very different from what a term solution is. So, you know, the insurance that renews every 10 years, that's the insurance you need. The permanent solution is the insurance you want. And when families are young and they're starting and they have kids, well, you need more insurance than what you want insurance. So it's, it's a, again, case by case basis. And you can't approach everyone with the same with the same discussion because it's just depending on where they are. Are they getting an inheritance? Are they expecting to pay for their parents' old age? It's an asset class. I love it. It's kind of like buying a house versus renting, but it's not for everyone and it has to be there at the right time in the right amount and something that will not compromise their lifestyle. I always say I don't want to have my clients eating cat food because they have to put their deposits into their insurance premium. That makes no sense. Yeah. Well, as investments grow, what should people consider and how often should you look at your investments? Again, their personal preference. Some people, when you talk about investments, they shrink. They just think they're going to die when they see it. So they have to find the right advisor to help them with their investments. Some people cannot keep their eyes off the screen following their their investments. To me, it's more who are you comfortable with? Don't try to time the market. You'll never beat the market. By the time you wake up, China already went to sleep. And I doubt any of the traders, traders call their clients or their brokers to tell them what was going on. It's a bumpy time right now. The markets in the States are really, really volatile. We hadn't seen this much volatility in years. The Canadian economy is cooling. So it's, again, it's the most important thing, I would say, more than looking at your investments, is keep an eye on them. 
but also strengthen your relationship with your investment advisor to make sure you can pick up the phone or he or she can pick up the phone and tell you, hey, should we balance your portfolio? I don't like what I'm seeing. Or should we add more risk? How are you feeling? You should not be up at night tracking the Bloomberg screen because you don't know what's going on. It's more having someone you can trust because ultimately, you know, and I understand we're talking to business owners, you're building your business. Don't try to be a jack of all trades because you're going to fail one. Oh, I agree with that for sure. One part that was a concept that I did not hear until I got remarried was the family office concept. For many people, many people probably have never heard of that. Who is that for and what is a family office? You know, family office is the place where all your affairs are dealt with, ranging from legal, accounting, investments. It could be as uh, sophisticated as, you know, dog walking, driving, like total concierge service. And it's relatively new in Canada, like or unexplored. And they and people think that to be a family office client, you have to be ultra high net worth. I beg to differ. In Europe or most of Latin America, anyone with enough complexity in their lives that feels that it's failing on a daily basis to look after their affairs should entertain the idea of a family office. What is it? It's a fee that the family office charges to get rid of your problems. How nice is that? Mm -hmm. They bring the lawyer, they bring the accountant, they do everything you need to do and make sure that the investment is following your philosophy and they keep the conversation going. And your only job there is commitment to building a relationship with a family office and making sure you can clearly share what it is that you and your family want to do. The family office will ultimately take care of the governance of your family, making sure that as people age and they're more successful, when it comes time to transfer assets to the next generation, the kids have a clear understanding of who gets what, and they're not fighting over stuff, heirlooms, assets, the business I thought I was going to get. And I, you know, like my clients, we tell them, you don't want your kids fighting for the vase, like over your casket. Like the family should be able to continue and perpetuate the values that you instilled in them. It's no longer a conversation of, I'm leaving my kids too much money. That at that point, you're talking about what did I teach my kids and how will they behave with the money they, they get? And it's a value. Again, it's what's important to you. It's who, who do we are? And let's make sure that my kids' life decisions are not affected by the amount of money they get, but make sure we're all on the same page and with clear understanding of who gets what when. It's a long answer for family office, but, but ultimately there's so many decisions that have to happen. But not having the conversation is not the solution because people who don't have all these things sorted out, whatever you pay the family office is nothing compared to what you're going to, you know, the next generation will pay the lawyers fighting for what they think is their right. 
And you said that it's a new concept introduced to Canada. I, I'm shocked that that's a new concept. That's something that's obviously permeated around the United States for a long time. Definitely ultra high net worth people here in Canada. So why do you think it's something that's just newly come to Canada? Oh, it's been here for a while, but the general public thinks that it's just for the ultra high net worth. And I would argue again, differently. I think anyone wants your like net worth of three to five million dollars and up, you should start considering having, you don't need to go to the big ultra high net worth family offices. Mm-hmm. There are several multifamily offices that can do the, do exactly the same thing and actually pay attention to you because you're at their level. Right. So you're getting more. In Europe, it's the most common thing. In Europe, it's very common? Yes. Anyone with three, four million euros is already talking to family office. Okay. That's good to know. Well, is there any last thoughts that you wanted to share with our audience, Elka, before we, we wrap up our show? Well, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really, really excited to, to see that you're, you're promoting the financial awareness, which is great. Because when you're building your business, it's difficult. And sometimes you're alone. And sometimes you question whether, whether you're making the right decisions. And even if you're in a partnership, there are mo- moments of weakness. And a financial advisor should be able to not necessarily give you all the options, but offer resources. And that's what we do. And I am really excited and hope that this this uh, podcast creates curiosity with, with your listeners. And they reach out to either their financial advisor, to us, or to someone that can help them move to the next level. And that that's very important. Oh, well, you're doing a fantastic job. Thank you very much. Yeah, for sure. I'm actually really excited about this opportunity. Thank you so much for saying that. I just, I I felt that there was a necessary need for women in business. When you get to a certain place, six, seven and more figures, there's questions that definitely need to be answered. And even for people, even if they're just starting a business and they're not there yet, they need to know parts of the dialogue of conversation that needs to be ongoing. Your financial planning is a, a huge component of how you plan, move through your business, build your business, scale your business, however you want to look at it. And it actually, I found in my journey, things moved forward a lot faster once some of these basic elements were in place. And like you said, it's an ongoing journey. So you lay the foundation, then you circle back, and then you add on other parts to that foundation. And then it just, I just find that everything just blossoms from there. And much yeah. easier to go from that place. Yeah, no, and it's it's the openness and the, the ability to bounce your quote dumb questions and not feel alone. Mm-hmm. That is that that is that's where you start. Well, I wanted to thank you so much for being on Holy Living today with me. I hope everyone will tune in um, next week for our new show. Thanks for coming, Elka. Thank you so much and have a wonderful week. Mm-hmm.